0: Yo what is up fans we are here we are live again and we are back I am here on the Bulls fan podcast we're here talking all Chicago Bulls all the time Um, today I have actually um, a very very special guest for you guys Uh, my man Jack Silverstein uh, Jack M Silverstein I believe Uh, great guy chicago historian reporter very 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 well known around the scenes for just being all things chicago sports and being involved with them um he has some new projects coming up that he'll hop into and talk about in a quick second um but this show is for bulls fans it's for bulls fans for you guys to be able to get your opinions off get your takes off i do have a voicemail number um i'll have that pop up as well so that way you guys can see it um, right there, right below, make sure you click that voicemail number. Drop me a call. I'll play your voicemails. Um, on the coming show, we're gonna just have a call, uh, you know, you know, a show where I go through all the voicemails. But as always on the Bulls fan podcast, we talk Chicago Bulls. So I'm going, I'm gonna go ahead and bring in my man, Jack Silverstein. Read Jack on Twitter. Uh talk to us, Jack. How you been? Thank you for joining me on the show.
1: I appreciate it, man. I've been good. Uh everybody's happy and healthy, and uh uh-huh. I mean, these moves have been eye-opening. Um, uh, a, a colleague of mine, a buddy of mine from Windy City Gridiron, when we had Ball and Caruso, and we didn't have DeRozan yet, but there was chatter. And he tweeted something like, I know Reed Jack is out there somewhere jumping for joy. And I said, I said, I'm I'm not just yet. And he was surprised. And I said, you know, jumping for jo- the jumping for joy bar is, Khalil Mack. Yeah. Or John definitely. Lester. Or definitely. Justin Justin Fields was a jumping yeah. to Joy bar. Yeah. And I'm not there with this. And I said, but boy, DeRozan would change the equation. And just letting it all sink in once that was locked in. Boy, we have a really fun, intriguing, deep team that feels like it has direction. There's purpose. Um, mm-hmm. There are. I know that there are some people who are wondering how are you know how are Zach and Demar going to play next to each other. That that doesn't really bother me that mm-hmm. much. Um, and uh, you, I, you don't see a weakness necessarily. I mean, the, we I, we don't have an MVP of the league. Yeah. But I uh, we well
0: there's no... according to uh, well, according to my show co-host Pavi, uh, he believes he, he he literally told me less than two weeks ago that Zach Levine has potential to be the MVP, and I said you're on drugs. So I
1: wouldn't. <laughs> uh, I won't. I won't go. I won't go as far as either of you. What I will say is that one thing that's very promising that I was thinking about, and this was prior to all these um, all these additions, is that we've seen a real performance bump from guys coming out of Team USA. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the 06 FIBA games in Japan. Mm-hmm. And a number of guys have had big boosts, whether it's, you know, Carmelo's first scoring title was coming off of, uh, off of an Olympics. You had coming off of the 08 Olympics, you had Kobe breaking through with a title. Mm-hmm. Um, you had LeBron... Winning his first MVP, you had Dwayne Wade with his scoring title. Derek's MVP year was after the 2010 FIBA games. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant's MVP year was 14 after the 14 FIBA games. He'd already been in the mm-hmm. Olympics, but you see a number of boosts like this. I, hell, even even Heinrich made an All Defensive Team after the Japan Captain game. Kirk. Captain, Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. I mean, people forget he was on that. He was on that FIBA team in '06 and
0: yeah definitely did forget
1: yeah there there are a lot of them like that so you know it's it's got to be that that focused competition that intense competition over the summer the realization that you're playing with your you're the very best all of your peers and we can talk about how oh yeah you know i saw someone call it the all couch team 12 Mm -hmm. guys and team who could have you know who could beat who aren't playing could beat this team but regardless it's a major major upgrade and you know, we saw our, our friend uh, Dave, big Dave from the Bulls Outsiders uh, ball sports, who had noted earlier this year, and this stat has recently blown up that the Olympics are the first time since UCLA that Zach has been on a team that's won four straight games. That's um, pretty
0: nuts. Not counting that's I nuts. guess the,
1: the, the Bulls had a run, but he was he was out with an injury. So in terms of what he's been involved in, it yeah. this is the this is the first time. And, you know, you heard about Wade and LeBron talking about how monumental it was to be able to watch Kobe work. Mm-hmm. And even even Barkley, who was the star in many ways, the breakout star in Barcelona, he was he was the dream team's leading scorer. He comes off of that and obviously he was traded to Phoenix that summer. He goes yeah. and an M V P and wins an MVP. So there's a pretty nice pattern of guys having a jump um in performance, in accomplishment, following international play, U.S. guys. And I definitely see that coming with Zach.
0: Yeah, 100 percent, 100 hundred percent. I put it this way. I said on my first episode of this show that Zach reminds me of Devin Booker. But I've mm-hmm. also had this argument with Pavi where I don't think Zach is as good as Devin Booker. Um, but my biggest criticisms toward Devin Booker are my biggest criticisms toward Zach. And I know Zach was passing the ball last year, um, but I think Zach, in order for him to hit an MVP caliber level, has to like learn to distribute the ball and learn to become a playmaker first and a shooter slash scorer second. Um, And I know that, you know, his innate scoring abilities are amazing and he he can shoot the lights out almost 90, 50, 40 last year. But when it comes down to creating other opportunities for other people, I know his team hasn't necessarily been the best. But I've I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I've watched Russell Westbrook with subpar teams make other guys better, give other guys career years around him, even though he was still averaging thirty. And I think Zach has another level to go in terms of making his teammates better, which maybe it comes from, you know, as you mentioned, getting a gold medal. Um, you know, if they actually win the gold medal game tonight. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I I assume that they will win the gold medal. But even if they don't win the gold medal, as you mentioned, it's great experience for Zach. He just has to hit another level because now because now, as I mentioned as well in the last episode, this is no longer a ragtag group, of, you know, you know, of kind of of nobodies that they're pulling together trying to say, no. "Hey, make the playoffs." You have an actual squad now. You have a legitimate number two now in Demar Derozan in terms this of is, a number this two is, this scoring is a, option. This
1: is a hey. Yeah. This is a hey, go get home court
0: team. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I know you have a couple of new um, newsletters and projects um, coming out. Let's talk about those. Um, Talk to me about kind of what's going on in your sphere, what's going on in your space. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk to the people.
1: Definitely. So I am working on what is um, kind of surprisingly going to be the first ever book on the Bulls dynasty.
0: Really? Okay. And
1: there are obviously a ton of books that go after one element, Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, the Jordan rules is about one season. Blood on the Orange is about one season. Mm -hmm. There are certainly books about, you know, there's biographies of Jordan, Mm -hmm. Phil has his books, Wennington has a book, Luke Longley, I haven't been able to find it, but Luke Longley has a book, Rodman has books, Scotty's coming out with a memoir this year, but there's no book that actually just addresses the entire dynasty from start to finish, and not Mm -hmm. just what happened on the court, but everything around it, the, the culture around it, the way that the Bulls, Became a driving force, and in some ways, the driving force of popular culture. It wasn't just about what was happening on the court; it was about the ways mm-hmm. in which they were part of your wardrobe. Yeah, they they were they were on you know your clothes. I mean, look at what you're wearing right now. You know, I mean that's right. And 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 the dentist behind you. Uh, they were shout to my guy
0: Banks by the way. These there you go. both of these jerseys are gifts, and they're actually authentic. Mitchell and Ness, oh, I'm sorry, hardwood classic jerseys. Love it. Or, well, well, this is a Mitchell and Ness. Yeah, they're both Mitchell and Ness. And this one is actually the Jordan jersey from 97, 98. So okay. shout out to my guy Banks for these gifts. I know I'm wearing them on a the set, but these are actually gifts because someone knew that I was a Chicago Bulls fan. It's like, yo, I got two authentic Bulls jerseys. Do you want them? And I said, yes, please. So yes, go ahead, please. continue. Continue. That's
1: great. No, but that's, that's, so that's exactly it. And the way that no matter where you were, whether in, in Chicago or I was in Evanston and then we'll met, or if you were in Gary, if you were, no matter where you were in the city, in the state, you sort of touched the dynasty in really personal ways. Everybody mm-hmm. has a story where there was some kind of personal intersection of one of the players or a coach, and there are just so many stories. It's very rich, and so I am working on this book and I am collecting all my research and distributing it in a newsletter which is readjack.substack.com. Um, I, did, I did an interview, for example, with a guy named Chris Mott who was a Bulls ball boy. He was like the number one Bulls ball boy. He, he, he was on Oprah, he was in that famous Sports Illustrated article by Rick Riley, the one that had them all playing cards on the plane mm-hmm. in the cover. Yeah. And he was at Scotty's wedding. He became like a little brother. He had like a little brother, big brother relationship okay. with Pip. So he was at his wedding. And his stories are amazing. Um, I talked to Jim Irwin, who was the team's sound engineer at mm-hmm. Chicago Stadium. So he was actually the person who would press press play okay. on Sirius or on yeah. Rock and Roll Part 2. Yeah. And uh, the guy who struck the deal between the Bulls and Carson Peary Scott – so the reason mm-hmm. that you had to go yeah. to Carson Fury Scott to get your Bulls gear the day after a championship mm-hmm. was this guy, John Beecham. And a great interview with Scott Williams. And then the other big one, I think we talked about it last year, was I got Richard Esquinas' first Bulls interview since wow. 1993. So he had done okay. other, because he went into yoga, he had done other interviews on other subjects. But I got his mm-hmm. first MJ interview in 27 years. Um, the ones that I've got coming up uh, this week, I've got one with a high school basketball coach in Florida, who who uh, who's, who who runs the triangle with his team because mm-hmm. he learned it under Tex Winter when he oh, was a okay. young when he was a young coach. His father was coaching, and he said this was ninety five ninety six, and he said that he wanted to somehow see the Bulls practice. And his father cold called cold called the Bulls, and Tex invited them come to practice it was in the first weeks that we had traded for traded for rodman crazy and obviously it was jordan's first training camp Mm -hmm. since 93 so they were really kind of starting the triangle from scratch almost because rodman was new Mm -hmm. harper was a new starter in like a different role longley was had now had the starting job and there was just a there was a lot to do so he talked about watching them practice and watching you know how Tex would instruct the greatest team ever on the crispness of their chest passes and running spacing drills and stuff like that which I thought was really neat and then there's a Luke Longley documentary out the Australian story Uh, it's a documentary show half-hour show on Australia's ABC which is like our PBS Mm -hmm. and or the BBC it's public television and they did a doc on Longley, and they got Jordan to participate and Pip oh,
0: okay, and Phil. Okay. That's and where Steve all these Kirk. new clips of Jordan are coming from. Okay,
1: correct, correct. So they, um, so I interviewed the producer, and I'm going to have it out Monday morning because part two of the documentary airs Monday. Okay. She she said that when they reached out to Jordan, he was interested, but they they contacted a manager and they received a thanks but no thanks email. So Luke then emailed mj personally Mm -hmm. and mj was like yeah i'm in absolutely and they sent a film crew to his golf course in uh florida and then Mm -hmm. they remoted in you know the feed so that they could interview him from australia
0: oh wow okay crazy yeah crazy crazy stuff i'm very excited about it tell the people where they can find that again
1: absolutely so that's readjack.substack.com and you can, this is the way I always say it. And if you understand what I'm saying, then this newsletter is for you. You can subscribe for the low, low price of packs in a month or PIP in a year.
0: All right. All right. Perfect. Amazing. All right. So, speaking of dynasty talk, yeah. um, Scotty versus Phil um, or, or Scotty versus whoever. Because <laughs> apparently, I mean, not only to sell bourbon, but I, I think Scotty has some genuine beefs with people. 100%. Um what are your what are your thoughts number 1 on Scottie Pippen's GQ article where he um um you know called out the last dance um um you know basically saying it was just a, it was a Michael Jordan like you know um you know fluff piece um or a commercial that's basically what he equated sure. it to uh as well as he he called Phil Jackson a racist which was yeah. which was interesting but then I've I've seen a few different uh Reddit threads and a few different um you know quotes from Phil's starting I yep. believe in the seventies that haven't been necessarily the best quotes when when talking about his black players. What are your thoughts about the whole fiasco um involving Scotty, and do you think that is just Scotty trying to sell some you know bourbon
1: so first of all, I will never just outright negate someone's experience or their mm-hmm. viewpoint, and I think Scotty does have. Certainly. I think Scotty has real beef and Mm -hmm. a legitimate cause to be disappointed. My understanding is that the original footage that was being shot in 97, 98 was supposed to capture this final season. It probably felt more like, you know, a team documentary. And that's how they advertised it originally. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. definitely, I mean, we knew it was going to reflect well on... Michael, we knew he wasn't going to give that level of participation. And then when you saw he was, you know, one of the producers and you know, you see his team on there. Um, so you know what it, what it is, but I certainly was hoping for a much broader story Mm -hmm. and that was not there. So as for the Scotty Phil stuff, uh, there, there are a couple of pieces to parse out here. In terms of the 1.8 seconds, which was the, the heart of his his complaint, and he said that, that Phil gave Tony the shot mm-hmm. um, because he wanted a white player to succeed. So there's two things here. The first is that just from a basketball standpoint, yeah. Tony had three game winners that season, buzzer beaters, mm-hmm. including one on the exact play, the exact mm-hmm. half-court set that – we ran in the 1.8 seconds. It's the famous game where Reggie hit what looked like a game winner at, at Chicago Stadium and he bowed mm-hmm. to the crowd, but there was a little yeah. bit of time left on the clock, yeah. maybe like 0. 0.8 seconds. Mm-hmm. And we ran we ran the same play with Scotty inbounding the ball, with Tony starting, you know, around like in the lane and then popping out mm-hmm. up toward the elbow and and then catching and shooting. And you can see Pip in the shot. He's like, uh, and then when it goes in, he's like, yeah, you know, and he's very pissed yeah. up in the air. So it's not like he was some kind of malcontent. Yeah. Um, there was a basketball reason to do it that way. And Phil had talked throughout at different points in his career about, you know, almost getting, I won't say he was getting too smart for his own good, but he would talk about, oh, we'll use Michael as a decoy here. You will use yeah. this, you know, so... Yeah, so there's some basketball things that I think are legitimate. Now, is is Phil, is Phil a racist? Phil has said some racist things. Um, I mean, there are definitely – there. Are, listen, there are players who are going to say, Phil's not a racist because I've dealt with him and I know. And I'm not going to deny that experience yeah. either. I will read the quotes. And I don't know what you saw from the 1970s. But here is Phil in Melissa Isaacson's book, Transition Game, Uh, which was reported during the 93-94 season and was released right before the 95 season. And the Bulls in 94 had traded Stacey for Luke Longley, Mm -hmm. which gave us a roster of six white players and six black players. Okay. And there was starting to be some chatter where the Bulls trying to play to a white audience and maybe the idea was, all right, if you're not even going to win a championship – yeah. Uh, pack them in, I, I, I don't know. But here's what Phil okay. said. And this is pretty bad, in my opinion. Um, okay. The style of basketball we play and the system we use happens to be conducive to a lot of skills white players have. Spot shooting, ball movement, and cutting. As opposed to power basketball, usually indigenous to the skills black players have. One-on-one moves, quickness, jumping ability. Okay. Okay. So that's yeah. So yeah, that's, damn, the, Phil. that's the that's the that's the essence Phil, in many ways. Whoa. That's the essence in many ways whoa. of racism in sports. Whoa. Is we we've, we've Jesus. seen this. I've know, read it. I'm, that gonna, that let, one I'm before, gonna let that sink. I've, I've, that sink I've read before. it
0: I've read it, but I've never heard anyone else say it out loud. Jesus, that sounds bad, Phil. Man. And sorry for being blasphemous, but man, that sounds terrible, Phil. That sounds very racist.
1: That sounds very racist. That is the, I, I mean, that is racist. That is the essence of yeah. racism in sports. Yeah. This idea that, a, you know, that a white authority figure is going to define black players by their physical attributes and white players by their mental attributes. Yeah. When you've got Michael Jordan, who's like the smartest guy to ever play, or R- or one of, you or know, one top of them, Yeah. Yeah. And and you've got Scotty, who also his basketball IQ is off
0: the charts. Off
1: the charts, and at the same time, you have Tony Kukoc, whose nickname coming over, forget the waiter, was the was Europe's Magic Johnson. Yeah. And Tony had all the trip. If Tony was just, if Tony was black, he would have caught so much more hell. For really, I think so. Because okay. he was streaky. Yeah. He didn't defend. Yeah, true. Um, he was, and, and then his physical gifts off the charts. Yeah. So for, for Phil to look at the roster and say that yeah. is the essence of sports racism. I mean, it's what, it's how we see, um, it's what happens with quarterback evaluations.
0: Yeah. It's so what happens with the NFL finally dropping that, um, that I don't know. They had like some some uh some program in which they were using to like level out, I guess, the 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 mental capacity of black players versus white players. Which I guess they finally decided to stop using that system. But that system within itself is is racist. I think it's I think it's been racist to say black quarterbacks can only be wide receivers because they aren't smart enough to play quarterback. Um well, I think that's you know what I mean? I've I've been feeling like that. So the fact that even that's coming from one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time, that just leads more and more credibility to everything that Scotty was saying. Because I'll put it this way as a black man that's worked in corporate America for the past decade as well as in entertainment, I know when I'm being talked to in a racist manner and when someone is just being cool and chill. Right. And so Scotty being around Phil twenty four seven three sixty five. Or or at least not 365, but at least for them 180 nights a year when they're on the road together and spending time together, you know who you know where you stand. Exactly. And also, at that point in time, those guys weren't making the money that they're making now. Um, so and they also didn't have the same level of communication with the general public as they did back then. So even if he wanted to air his grievances out with Phil on social media, he couldn't. You know what I mean? And yeah. also, he wasn't a high enough paid player. To be able to air these grievances in the media and still necessarily, you know, you know, be in the same standing. Like we all know what Scottie Pippen's contract situation was. So I'm sure a lot of the times he felt like he just needed to shut up and take it. But also Phil wouldn't say these things in front of Michael or to Michael because he knows Michael would have tried to attack him.
1: It's also it's also interesting kind of what books and what reporters have become accepted as canon in bulls lore and what Mm -hmm. kind of exists outside of that because if that Mm -hmm. quote had been in the jordan rules
0: yeah we we would have heard about it yeah exactly exactly but we didn't
1: here's so here's another one this is from and for and you know you mentioned we were talking about black quarterback evaluations remember this was the, the story a couple of months ago and this is the NPR headline the NFL will stop assuming racial differences when assessing brain injuries. Remember all the CTE stuff and all the concussion settlements. Yeah. They were trying to pay black players less. Really? Basically, yeah, basically I on didn't the basis know that. It was basically on the basis of saying There's no there's no good way to say this. They were basically saying black players are already cognitively impaired. What? Come that's, on. And that's, and that's basically what, what? What, they were, on. what they were saying. Okay. So here's the more, here's and another...
0: more I, uh, The more and more I interact with the behind the scenes uh, interworkers at the NFL, the more yep. I don't understand why black people still play in the NFL. Well, I have a hard is... time even watching it now.
1: Okay. So here's another quote from Phil. Uh, this is from 2012. Grantland did a story mm-hmm. on the triangle offense. And Phil had always described. Or in many, in many places, I had always seen him describe the triangle in terms of jazz because mm-hmm. of the opportunities for improvisation, but you, that you still have to kind of know the structure.
0: There's definitely because, a racial subtext to that as well.
1: Well, it's about to get worse. But the idea is that the, the, the uh, because the way that the triangle works is it's all read and react. Yeah. And so there are sort of set actions, but there are no traditionally set plays, yeah. and everybody can go wherever. And that was part of, now obviously you have MJ and Scotty, yeah, and then Tony, Dennis, one of the best passers yeah. out of the post and all that, But um, and you have to defend Kerr and Craig Hodges and BJ mm-hmm. and Pax for three. Um, but the idea was that anybody can score at any time and anybody can play any spot. Okay. So he, he always described it as jazz. But here he is in 2012. The triangle is extremely simple. Quote, the triangle is extremely simple. You just need enough energy to get up and down the floor because it's a 94-foot offense. Everything happens in 4-4 time like rap music. That's how I always describe the tempo to players. So he's telling the press that it's like jazz, but he's explaining it to his players that it's like rap. However, not however,
0: geez. All right, we we got to apologize. The black community, who's who who says Scotty might have been tripping just because he was mad at MJ. We owe Scotty an apology, G. Okay. We do. The whole NBA community owes Scotty apology because they made Scotty look crazy when he said this shit.
1: Okay. Now I want to add. Now I want to add something. Now I'm going to add something to this. Okay. Okay. And again, my whole point here is. Were there basketball reasons for calling the play for Tony? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is Phil Jackson also a racist?
0: It's not out of the realm of possibility. Not, he's, it, he's, it, and based upon what he said, honestly, I gotta go with you. Uh, yes. He
1: participates in racism. He certainly the, If you that participate
0: way. in racism, you're a racist.
1: You're a racist. Alright, so here is... Even here if you is, work with
0: a bunch of black people, and that goes for all my white people out there, just because you work with a bunch of black people don't mean you're not racist. You can be, you can, you can not be intolerant and still be a racist.
1: Right. Okay. So now remember, all right. And it's all kind of part of what I like to do is you pull from all sorts of different sources and you start to put pieces together and then make evaluations and make fair judgments and draw conclusions. And if you can Mm -hmm. stand by your conclusion, then it's your conclusion. And there we are. So remember in 2012 he tells grantland that the that the way that he explains the tempo of the offense to his players is to say that it's a 4-4 beat like rap music okay, okay.
0: which most music is made which which as someone who makes music yeah, Jack, yes n- as someone who makes music i literally produce beats and make beats yeah um and a lot of the background music for the shows that we make here on B media i'm making the background beats for so 99% of popular music and and uh, is is literally on a 4/4 four, four measure. Okay. Most pop, most everything is on a 4/4 four, four measure. It's when you get to classical music where people will use like a 3/4 measure or something like that. But 99% of music popular music that we listen to in America is on a 4/4 four, yeah. four scale. So that within itself is racist because you could just say, "Oh, you could he could use the BG's and right. still be able to get the same point across. Right. Go ahead. Okay.
1: Now, take that, and and wed it to this. And this is um, I'm trying to remember when Scoop wrote this, but it was when he was at it was when he was at page two, and he started there in 05. So it was, this was 05, 06, somewhere in there. Um, Scoop Jackson, my mentor, uh, my friend, shout, and out to, Chicago piece, shout out to Chicago legend, shout to Chicago legend, and he wrote a piece called "Sacred Ignorance." Mm-hmm and he included two quotes, and this is from October of 1999. So right when he had started with the Lakers. Said, I don't mean to say that, and that's bracketed as a snide remark toward a certain population in our society, but they have a limitation of their attention span. A lot of it probably due to, uh, a lot of it probably due to too much rap music going on in their ears and coming out their being.
0: Yeah, this man is on uh, OD racism. What about and all then, the white kids that love rap music? What about mm, them? They, and then oh, October why? of
1: 2005, quote, I think it's important that the players take their end of it, get out of the prison garb and the thuggery aspect of basketball that has come along with hip hop music in the last seven or eight years. Jesus, Phil.
0: So if he's hip hop -hop at that point in time had been alive for 20 years at that point in time. And also, by at that point in time, white people were buying more records than African Americans were. So his entire conversation is factually ignorant.
1: Then we remember the posse comment with LeBron.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Him and his posse are, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so I think we can look at Scotty's comments. I mean, you know, listen, Scotty talks a lot and he he's on the record where he has contradictory views over the course of yeah. some months this yeah. guy's the goat this guy's the goat etc etc yeah. he's also selling a book and bourbon and drinking the bourbon while selling the book i mean it's That's, very uh, easy yeah. to kind of look at these <laughs> interviews and go oh scotty talking shit but
0: honestly what do they say a drunk a drunk mind tells sober thoughts
1: there you go um but listen Phil Jackson has a history, yeah, and i like I said, I'm never going to deny someone's experience, and that means you know, Stacey King gave an interview where he was like, uh-huh. phil's not you know Phil's not a racist, like I dealt with Phil and all this, and i
0: I hate it when I, black people do that I'm sorry I'm not, Personally, I'm not going to
1: no, I hear you, I'm not going to deny anyone's experience, yeah, and say no what you experienced was wrong or whatever yeah um. I'm just going to say that Phil Jackson has said some heinous, racist things repeatedly over the course of decades. Yes. And if that spilled out at points between Scotty and Tony in 94, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I wouldn't either, especially when those two are the two stars of the team at that point in time. And if you're Phil, you're watching Scotty and you're thinking, man, why can't you be Michael? right and yeah. and that resentment just kind of boils out into this racist frustration that he has because because now that Michael is no longer around I don't give a damn how I speak to you as I mentioned before like his contract situation was terrible like Scotty wasn't going to rock the boat too hard he tried he literally tried literally went on TV during the All-Star break talking about I want to get traded and it never happened so he tried, but he tried everything. He we, leaked he his tried own it, he leaked his own rumor. He tried everything and it didn't work. So the organization was much more powerful than Scottie Pippen, which makes sense 100%. why he would why he would be in the position to where he felt as if he was voiceless. And if there was some interlocker room racial tension, not between Ku and Scotty, because Scotty actually said that he likes KuCoach, coach and i believe KuCoach was at scotty's bourbon like party or whatever they i mean that they had before the release so Scottie, they scotty yeah. is going
1: scotty is going to be tony's yeah. presenter into the hall of fame yeah
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so 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 i'm saying all this to say like he, it's not that scotty has an issue with Ku coach because if he had an issue yeah, with so, coach, so. we would know about his issue with Ku coach it's yeah. clear that he feels this way about phil jackson And that is the whole thing that everybody kind of overlooked because they were like, oh, well, you were just mad you didn't get the last shot. It's no, I don't have a problem with Tony. Me and Tony are fine. We're like this. My problem was with the guy behind my friend. That was being like, yo, let me supersede you or usurp you for this guy because I feel this way about black players. And you're not going to hear or see this when dealing with Michael because Michael was the star of the show. He literally traveled with security and a video team for the, for the last season of our, of our play, even though it was supposed to be about the team. So why does anyone think that Michael and Phil would have an issue when involving racism. It's like you're not going to do that with Michael. You right. know what I mean? You're going to you're going to fall in line with Michael because of his star. But when it comes to the guy that's getting paid a million dollars a year, you shut up. Fall other, in line, boy, and do what you're told because you're not as smart as Tony. The other and Scotty the
1: whole time is like, "What the fuck?" Go ahead. Right. The other things the other things that were happening then with Scotty and Tony is that so first of all obviously there had been that beef between Scotty and the organization and Michael mm-hmm. and the organization about Kucoch when they were yeah. earmarking
0: mm-hmm.
1: weirdly enough they were earmarking 1.8 million dollars for Tony that didn't go to Pitt 1.8 million yeah. 1.8 seconds. Yeah. So they are earmarking 1.8 million uh for for Kucoch and then 9394 was the year that Michael retired and it was Tony's first mm-hmm. year with the team. So there was a star power thing yeah. that was happening there as well. Mm-hmm. I remember a WGN broadcast when they would have the previews, yeah. you know, Tonight at seven, Bulls and Magic. And it was like Tony Kukoc and the Chicago Bulls. And I'm like, mm-hmm. um, and Scotty had said to the press that he thought that the that Bulls fans were being racist in their support for Tony and their you know that they had turned on him a little bit. Yeah. So there was there's a lot there. I also think, despite the basketball argument, you should just give the last shot to Pip because at that point we're down 0-2. two. We've blown this big lead coming into that possession. We had blown like an mm-hmm. eighteen point lead, and nobody really thought that we were gonna. All right. Not only did nobody think we were gonna win a championship, mm-hmm. but there were there were people predicting that we'd be a low East team. We may not make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And instead, Scotty puts out this MVP caliber season and we go into the last weekend of the season with a chance for the number one seed. Mm-hmm. And we ended up in the three seed, but just two games behind. I think the yeah. Hawks won 57 and, um, and the Knicks won 50, Maybe they won 56 or 57 and we won 55. Mm -hmm. So he gets us right there, and at that point, give him a shot. And if you Mm -hmm. lose and you miss, first of all, as Phil, the heat's not going to be on you necessarily. probably be more on Pip. But regardless, you lose, you go down 3-0. We weren't going to win this series anyways. I mean, you kind of always fall back on that. Mm -hmm. And if you hit it, you've given this player who gave everything and turned out this MVP caliber season – you know a a real gift that he had earned but still like a a, it it shows your gratitude and shows your confidence and your faith so he i would have i would have done that you can't argue with results tony hit the shot um but there's a lot going on there but uh phil jackson racist Yes. He's not he's not an ox racist. Yeah.
0: You, you, don't, you don't have to say it. I will. Yes. Yeah. Based upon what I have read, it sounds like every racist white guy I've been around that tried to tell me that I was somewhere because of things other than my mind, even though right. I work in a field where, I, in order to be the best, you have to have a good mind. Yeah. Which is usually every sport, with probably the exception of sprinting. But even then, as a sprinter, you have to understand breath control and be smart enough to utilize your energy and, and, and know when to turn it on and when to, you know what I mean? So it's There's
1: all no very – athlete at the highest level, level hasn't yeah. mastered both the mental and the physical. Yeah, even if you look at a guy
0: him. like Jameis, like Jameis Winston is a guy that has all of the physical tools, but he has not mastered the mental side of the game, which is the reason why he can throw 35 touchdowns but throw 35 interceptions, <laughs> right? Right. Right. But Patrick Mahomes, black quarterback, dad as darker than me. Right. Right? He has mastered the mental side of the game as well as with having amazing fit, you know, physical attributes. Therefore, he is uh, at a god level pace 3 4 years into his career. So in order for you to be a god level player or athlete in any sport i believe you have to have some level of superior intellect no one just goes out there and sheerly makes it off athleticism so i think all all. of those criticisms and those remarks by phil jackson they sound pretty damn racist to me
1: but yeah moving on it's it it is it is phil jackson racist it is racism
0: it is it's unfortunate though because he's had such a such a such a a, um, a a huge part in shifting black culture as being part of Michael Jordan's basketball team because Michael Jordan shifted black culture as well as hip hop culture and the culture Kobe. that filled the culture that Phil Jackson hates so much and Kobe as well you're right a hundred percent so it's interesting that those two would be able to succeed and be so great while having to deal you know with Phil but also as I mentioned before those guys are the stars and I don't care what anyone says there's nothing a racist white guy loves more than a star black athlete. I'll <laughs> leave it at that. I will leave it at that. So, yeah. let's go ahead and let's talk Chicago Bulls uh for this year, 2021-2022 yeah. season. Um I said last year I have some very ambitious goals for the Bulls, but guess what? I'm aiming high. I don't care. I believe Billy Donovan finally has the team that he can, um, you know, you know, take over the East with. Yeah. I don't think they will win the championship. But I do think depending on an injury here or injury there or a missed circumstance here or a missed shot or a foot on the line here or there, right. they could wind up in the Eastern Conference Finals depending upon who gets who in the in the initial rounds. Yeah. Um It also, I think, depends on the 76ers because the 76ers are a team where I think if the Bulls get matched up with them in the second round, they could beat the 76ers because the 76ers still have the wild card of Ben Simmons and you never know when he's going to show up to play. And right. I think Vucevic... And DeMar can probably cancel out and beat. So can Zach Levine and Zalonzo Ball cancel out the rest of the 76ers, which I think is actually possible, especially having reported and watched um, Tobias Harris in Los Angeles? He is not that guy as the third uh, option. He's really right. like a fourth option. But yeah, you know what I mean? So I, I have lofty goals for this team. Um, I think that Zach Levine can average a little bit less than he did um, last year on the same shooting splits I think DeMar DeRozan is going to average around 23 points a game I think Vucevic is going to take a step back in scoring but he's going to take less shots and be able to create more rebounding opportunities and I think Lonzo Ball is going to have the best year of his career if you look at Jason Kidd's career trajectory and I'm not saying Lonzo Ball is going to be Jason Kidd but if you look at their career trajectory it's damn near like this it's literally parallel in terms yeah. of their numbers in terms of how terrible they were for the first like year or so two years and then eventually they write the ship Jason Kidd is a guy they used to call him Ason because he had no J and fi- right. he finished his career what I believe top 10 top five in three-point field goals made all time so I think the Bulls have a good solid foundation for the next three to four years and I think it begins this year I have their over under this year at 53 wins I know when we discussed this before you <laughs> made the same face so talk to me how are you feeling about this year's Bulls what do you what are your what are your roundabout predictions we don't have to get too finite with the predictions because I know you're not a prediction guy, but I've let's tried talk to about stray, it.
1: No, I've tried to stray away from from uh, from the prediction game. I think I make that face because fifty three is it sounds doable, which then is kind of scary. Yeah. And whenever you start to actually put numbers mm-hmm. to concepts, they mm-hmm. make you know then it's more real. Yeah, boy, boy, I like I like this team. I like this team a lot, and. A couple, a couple things come to mind. One, I, I don't see an obvious weak point in the mm-hmm. starting lineup, provided that Pat Williams continues his development, mm-hmm. and provided that DeMar DeRozan has a couple, maybe two more years of what he's been doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And could Zach have a Booker, Trey Young, Luka-like playoff series? In him, I, yeah, I, 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 I hope so. I think so. I mean, the other interesting thing about the NBA in recent history is that if you can stay at a certain level, mm-hmm. you can, you can win all of a sudden because you get that one star. Yeah, and we saw that with the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't quite say we saw it with Phoenix because their their rise was so much more steep. But the addition of Chris Paul, all of a sudden, uh, you know, changed that team. Mm-hmm. The addition of Kawhi from DeMar DeRozan just changed that team. We mm-hmm. were talking about the you know the mid '90s, like mid three P Bulls teams, and we went from in '95 a team that was struggling to stay at 500, and all of a sudden MJ's back and now we go 13-4, and and then you add Dennis, and now you've won 72 games. (laughs) And listen, Jordan and Rodman, these guys aren't just like hanging around, but Mm -hmm. the way that today's player views the role of personal agency Mm -hmm. in their career, things can change. Things can change fast. And I do think that it's in the back of everybody's head boy it'd be cool to be the next person to lead the bulls to a championship yeah after mj and we had we had we had a lot of organizational problems that kept people from wanting to do that i mean carmelo anthony talked about how he was swayed away from the bulls in uh the summer of 2014 Mm -hmm. because he was hearing that you know they weren't going to keep this group together it's always about kind of what you know what bad rumor what bad take what bad word is coming out of the organization dwayne wade talked about that when they were looking at you know when those guys all ended up in miami that they were there was a possibility of coming here and he said that like the loyalty wasn't there kevin garnett talked about that and that stigma has remained over two plus decades but i have to imagine that with the degree to which the bulls remain popular from a cultural standpoint and then the way that the last dance hit last year and reflamed all this, yeah. I have to imagine that there are players who kind of look and say, boy, if the opportunity was just right, mm-hmm. I'd like to go do it. I think what's interesting about this bulls team as constructed is could these guy if these guys really get to like each other and play well together, then that could be a team that has a little bit of a run for, you know, two three Mm -hmm. years and maybe there is a breakthrough moment coming yeah you just you don't know i'm excited it's possible
0: it's It's possible possible. i'm definitely excited as well um what are your thoughts on lonzo ball do you have any thoughts on lonzo ball and and what he could potentially add do you think that we finally have the point guard that we've been searching for
1: um i like him i like him i don't Mm -hmm. love him but yeah yeah but i liked i liked his progression i liked him certainly more um certainly more the last few years than what he looked like in la where he just whatever if it was a combination of being young being too close to home just a
0: rookie just, he was just yeah. a rookie as someone right. who was here he was just a rookie. and right, then, You were there. And they, yeah, he was just a rookie. His rookie year was actually a good year. Like it, Statistically, it wasn't good, but if you watch the Lakers every day, yeah. he, him and Brandon Ingram were the reason to watch the Lakers. Yeah. And him more specifically because you could see flashes of what he was in college. Right. Um, but then LeBron comes and takes the ball out of your hand as well as Brandon Ingram's hand, so there right. is no more player. Once LeBron comes, there is no more player development. Right. You have to learn on the fly and I just don't think he was built that way. Um he, he still needed to he still needed to learn more as he as he changed his jump shot because his jump shot had to go through a complete metamorphosis because it used to come all the way around. Now he just goes straight up with his jump mm-hmm. shot. You can't learn that while you're playing on a team with LeBron and you're the number two pick. You have to be ready made. And I think he was much more of a three to five year long development, which now he's going into year five. Right. And the Lakers needed two years, three years total for, for them to win a championship. And obviously, he wasn't as valuable as Anthony Davis. So you have to give him out. I'm, I'm sorry, get him out of there. I think the biggest thing that he adds to them is that Lonzo Ball is a true 6'6'6'8. Six, 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 like he's, he's actually a real 6'6'6'8 six, 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 tall player. So he can switch one really through four now with today's wings, which I think will allow the Bulls to be able to hide Zach on defense. And when they play point guards that aren't that great, you can hide Zach on the point guard. And when they play shooting guards that aren't that uh, great, you can hide Zach on the shooting guard. I think Lonzo allows them defensively to have some like overall versatility because he can really switch one through four. He can't really guard fours, but if you need him to because of his size – He should still be able to defensively be able to guard them, and and him and Caruso, I think, in terms of backcourt defense, is something that the Bulls desperately needed last year. Kobe White, Thomas Adaranski, Zach Levine. There's no backcourt defenders that you have now. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Then now you. Are you going? Are you
1: taking the over?
0: I'm. I'm not taking the over. I'm taking even. OK, so, so I'm taking even. So if taking it even means taking it over, I'm taking I'm going 53 wins. That's what I said. Okay. I think they can get to 53 wins. I, I think it really just depends on Zach Levine, like how much better is he going to make the guys around him? Yeah, um, when he doesn't have the ball, how good is he going to be as a cutter now that he has a true point guard that is a passer? Uh, like him. Him and Lazo sh- should reasonably every game connect for two to three lobs. That's how good of a lob passer and a lob threat Zach Levine is, and Lonzo Ball can be as a combo. Even right. just seeing what Zach Levine uh, I'm sorry sorry, even just seeing what Lonzo Ball was able to do with his little bit of opportunity to hold the ball with Zion Williamson. And the lobs that he was able to give Zion Incredible. and the cuts to yeah. the rims. Yeah. If he can do that with Zach, that should take the burden of Zach needing to create offense for at least two to three possessions. And then you think about how many other easy baskets and easy opportunities they should be able to get because you have an actual point guard there. So five of his shots next year should come much, much easier than yeah. they did last year. Uh, and then, a, he should, and then he should and then he should and then he should be able to take one and a half less shots now. Because he has a guy like Demar, where when on nights when he just wants to take a break off, give the ball—I mean, sorry, give Demar the ball in the in the mid-range and move out of the way. That's mm-hmm. a bucket. And anywhere beyond 18 feet, we gotta worry. But 15 feet and in, that's a bucket. Vucevic can stretch out and hit a three. He can also pretty much, you know, from 15 feet and in, that's automatic. The only real weak spot that I see for this Bulls team is in front court defense off the bench. They have no defenders in the front court off the bench. Laurie has made it known that he does not want to resign, that he wants, he he said um, um, today through his agent, I believe, that he wants a fresh start. It looks like he's most likely going to wind up in Charlotte. Um, So if it's a sign and trade, maybe, I mean, I don't know who you get back from the Hornets for Laurie, you know, but if they want to give up, but if they want to give up one of those young, um, you know, centers or, or power fours that they have in Charlotte, I'll take them because the bulls don't have any backcourt, I'm sorry, any front court depth off the bench. And that's really where I think that they're going to be missing a lot of um, opportunities defensively. And that might be the thing that might hurt them. Like the Brooklyn Nets last year, They didn't necessarily have a strong front court defense, but they still had DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen for a certain amount of time, and Claxton off the bench can all block shots. Now, can they stop anyone in the interior? No. But do they have at least an interior threat? They did in terms of defensively being able to block shots. They had three of them. The Bulls don't have any interior defensive threats. So that's the biggest thing that I hope that they can address um, as free agency wanes down and the last little bit of pieces, um, you know, kind of come off the board. Also a guy like Paul Millsap, he's still technically a free agent. If he wants to come in and take the minimum, sign Paul Millsap that's defense off the bench he can give you probably about 12 points off the bench if you need him to he was still solid in Denver it's just that that team was getting is getting younger and built more around Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic so I think they have the opportunities to make plays and be able to and and, and be able to really operate like a franchise that is one of the top franchises in the NBA versus whatever they've been operating like for the past decade so I'll leave it there.
1: No, that's great, and you know, in, in terms of that, in, in terms of that uh, front court defensive depth, we saw how important that was with Milwaukee. We saw mm-hmm. how how important that was, in the night and day change for the Lakers between the championship year mm-hmm. and then and then last yeah. year. And obviously, there were other differences as well, but we saw that. We saw what the what the guys did in Toronto. Um, you know, Gasol and some of Siakam's development. So, yeah. But if that's where you're at, at yeah. least that's where we're at. Where we're talking about that's the piece. Yeah, you know that's the element. Not we've got major holes in our starting yeah. line. 100%. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. So, Jack, I appreciate you for joining me today on the Bulls Fan Podcast. Everyone out there watching, if you're watching this video, make sure you drop a like. As well as if you're listening to us in your ear in podcast format, be sure to rate and subscribe, as well as like this podcast on Spotify, on Stitcher as well. Um, you can search it "Bulls Fan Podcast" on any of your um, podcast, you know, you know platforms or Bulls Fan H and B Media. It should pop up. Um, or you can just search hoops and brews and you can find us that way as well. Um, as always, we appreciate the fans for joining. I appreciate my special guest today. Uh, Jack, go ahead. Once again, talk to the people about your upcoming projects and what you have and where they can find your stuff at. And Definitely. then we're going to get on out of here.
1: Definitely. No, I appreciate it, man. I really, I love everything that you're doing, everything that you and Pab are doing. Thank um, you. every, you know, what, what, what Scott's doing with his show, just, Thank uh, you. And then, um, and and then seeing seeing the bigs and and Joe team up and just there's mm-hmm. a lot a lot of good things happening. Yeah. So I I appreciate it. Um, thank as you, a fan. I appreciate it. Thank um, you.
0: Seriously, seriously, yeah, like so, the fact that you actually enjoy the content is is all that matters to us. So thank you. Definitely 100%, appreciate it.
1: Hundred percent. Looks good. Looks good. Sounds good. Is good. You know, kind of like thank the you. the substance mixed with the presentation. Thank you. Um. Uh, yeah, so uh, my book is Six Rings. It's going to be out, in, and uh, but right now you can you can read all the interviews, get all the research on the newsletter, readjack.substack.com. That is for the low low price of packs in a month or pip in a year. And we've got pieces coming up on uh, on the Triangle, a focus on Luke Longley, a couple focuses on Luke Longley. I've got a piece coming on the. The actual origin, the disputed origin of who designed the Bulls logo. Mm -hmm. And I've got some interviews that I did last year that I'm still sitting on with um, Bulls authors Sam Smith and Roland Lazenby about the Phil Krause feud and an element that kind of gets buried a little bit over assistant coach Johnny Bach. And there's some interesting elements there, and the reason I've been sitting on the interviews was that they went left in some respects, and I haven't figured out exactly how to use them yet. So there's some nah. things coming, some more Phil stuff, and a uh, great interview that's up there right now with Scott Williams, one of my favorite okay. Bulls from back in the day, so lots, mm-hmm. lots up there.
0: All right, perfect, thank you, Jack. I appreciate you for joining me, and Bulls fans, as always, I appreciate you guys. Stay tuned in and feel free to drop me a voicemail if you want to. I'm going to leave the number in the description. And until next time, I'll get up with you guys. Thank you. Peace.